You're listening to Nearly Numinous, a podcast all about the religious side of life. We hope to provide our listeners insight into the lived experience of everyday people as it pertains to any form of religion or spirituality. This includes embracing scholarly understandings of religion and sociology, but it also includes casual conversations and understanding real lived experience. This week on Nearly Numinous, I'm interviewing the Reverend Wendy Luella Perkins, who is a chaplain with the Faith and Spiritual Life at Queen's University. She is an ordained Unitarian Universalist minister and is presently an affiliated community minister with the Kingston Unitarian Fellowship. Wendy Luella's community ministry is varied and has included work in alcohol risk reduction and health promotion, local food and farm advocacy, music making, and community arts. As a singer-songwriter, she has produced three albums of original folk and chant music and is the founder of the Soulful Singing Meditation Practice. I kind of told you a little bit about me before we got started, and I know that uh, there's a full bio of you online, but maybe for our listeners, if uh, if you want to just introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what your role is and and why we're interviewing you on a podcast about religion. Great. Well, thanks so much, Steph. Uh, my name is Wendy Luella Perkins. I go by Wendy Luella. And I think you're probably interviewing me because I am an associate chaplain with Faith and Spiritual Life here at Queen's University. Uh, so I have a role within the university and also you're probably interviewing me because maybe not, but I did graduate from Queens Theological College myself. So I'm a graduate of, of Queens in theological studies. I did a master's in theological studies and you're probably also interviewing me because you're curious about the meditative practice that I've been facilitating for the last 18 years called soulful singing, which is uh, singing in silence and uh, a practice that really is non-religiously specific, meaning it's not, I am a Unitarian Universalist community minister, I'm an ordained minister, but that soulful singing practice while arising out of my own spirituality and my own religious experiences um, is something that folks from any religious tradition or no religious tradition um, find meaningful. And over the last 18 years, because I've been doing that, that practice for 18 years, uh, there have been people from all kinds of different back- backgrounds and different experiences and ages and yeah, folks from all over who have participated in that. So, uh, but I'm originally from Nova Scotia. I think that's important because uh, I think that I really feel grounded in being an East Coast person, and at least for myself, I, I remember when I moved to Ontario, I first moved to the University of Waterloo, I was doing a master's in addictions um, at at uh, University of Waterloo, and when I first moved there, I chatted a lot with strangers, and people were like, what is this? And I still do that. I am a person that is um, uh, a gregarious kind of 
person. So I tend to, to talk to folks that I might not know personally. And I think that does sort of derive from growing up in the Maritimes where I think there's just a lot of hospitality is important. And I think that's a religious concept as well. For me, hospitality as a, as a, a Unitarian Universalist minister and in my work in faith and spiritual life, hospitality is really important. Creating a space where people feel welcomed, that they feel welcomed in, and that their voice is invited into the conversation. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you for that a brief bio. And I think we're, we're going to hopefully dive a little bit more into some of those things. Uh, but I'm kind of curious, before we dive into the specifics, I think um, many of our listeners probably haven't heard of uh, Unitarian Universalism before. Uh, can you give just a, a basic background of what that is? Sure. Um, Unitarian Universalism is a faith tradition that really started in, you know, in the Protestants' Reformation. So when all those other Protestant religions were popping up, uh, the Unitarians and the Universalists, which were two separate movements, um, uh, established. So the Unitarians believed in uh, one God, not a trinity, but a unity. So Unitarian, that's kind of the history of that. And the Universalists believed if God was an all-loving God, that everybody would be saved. So those are two kind of radical views, even in the 16, 17, 1800s when those mm -hmm. um, were establishing. And I think I would say Unitarian Universalism today, so even though we have a long history, um, that today is still on the cutting edge sort of theologically. So for myself as a Unitarian Universalist, my own faith where I am grounded in my own faith um, personally is a very earth-based. Uh, I am, um, yeah, so my derivation of sort of meaning and purpose is not primarily with a sense of God or goddess that's above and beyond us or a transcendent kind of uh, deity, I really am embodied in my own spiritual practice, and it's very much rooted in the cycles of the earth, life and death, the moon and the sun and um, the seasons, and in very earthy, very embodied, very incarnate. That said, other Unitarian Universalists might identify themselves as atheist or Buddhist or Jewish or um christian so really we are a we are we got a big tent it's a big tent unitarian universalism and i think our our overall approach is that rather than the religion dictating what the beliefs or practices are is that the individual we have shared values like we have values of justice and love and equity and care for the earth those are basic values that you'd all Unitarian Universalists would probably share, but how they come out and, you know, what is rooted, what are, what are, the, what are the key doctrines and doc, documents and where is inspiration, you'll find that quite different for Unitarian Universalists. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's for myself as a person that came to Unitarian Universalism when I was in Waterloo, actually, when I went to grad school there, um, it was such a refreshing it was very refreshing to find a religious tradition that I didn't have to check my brain at the door, that I could actually integrate ideas of science and spirituality together. And, um, and that was really, really important to me. 
I think the other thing that happened very early on in, in Unitarian, my Unitarian Universalist connections, which were in the late 80s, 1980s, was it was the place that I reconnected with song because if you've ever been to some kind of congregation, regardless if it's Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist or Christian, most religious traditions have singing as a fundamental part of their re religious expression. And at Unitarian Universal Congregation that I went there, similar thing, we were singing songs. And I remember thinking, the first time I went, I actually was singing one of the songs and, and I was reading the words and it was, they were very meaningful words. And I thought, wow, I can sing all of these words and mean them. Because my own experience in growing up, well, like peripherally Christian, not very strongly Christian, but going to Christian um, congregations, there are many times where I would be singing words and going, oh, I don't quite believe that. I'm going to just hum through that section, <laughs> you know, but actually to be in a faith tradition where I could look at those words and, and in my heart go, I, I value what's being said in these words and I can sing them with authenticity and integrity and and emotionality because I remember that first time singing in that congregation and weeping was like oh my god why and I was like why am I weeping uh, as I reflected on it it's like oh I, I lost this I lost the opportunity for communal singing and how important communal singing is to the human experience and yeah so I felt reconnected to that through the Unitarian Universalist tradition. And then years later, established soulful singing, which is kind of interesting. I, I haven't told you yet about my thesis project that I actually did over for my master's, um, but it's interesting because I think it lines up quite a bit with what you were just describing. So my research was in specifically through ancient Greek cults, but it was the experience of dancing and singing together uh, and how that would induce this sort of trance-like state and kind of bring together this community um, and the importance of, you know, especially people dancing, singing together, that kind of coming together in a ritual experience. But on top of that, you have this music driving it and why that was so important in creating this shared experience. Um, so I think it's really interesting to see, like, obviously my work is in antiquity in ancient Greece, um, but it's, it's interesting to see and hear that that is a theme that kind of expands beyond you know, historical examples of it. Um, mm. And I think, too, one of my things that I think is quite interesting, um, especially, and I'd be curious to know uh, what you've noticed just based on what's happening in the world right now. Obviously, there's, uh, in Ontario at least, and I think elsewhere, there's a rule right now that churches, you can't come in and sing. So you can attend a service, but communal singing just isn't happening. Um, and I'm curious if you've talked to anybody or if you yourself have kind of experienced um, the challenges that kind of come with that. Oh, there's a lot there, Steph, because first of all, Sorry. I <laughs> no, no. First of all, I wanted to step back for a second, just say that when I developed soulful singing as a singing meditative practice in 2002, I remember the very early, early experiences of doing that. And I still do this sometimes as I, I actually acknowledge the ancestors when we sing together. I say, we are engaging in something that has been done for thousands and thousands of years because we are, there's no, there are no instruments other than our body. 
there's no nothing that's there's no technology that's in that's intermediary this is a very immediate experience we're using our voices we're singing from our own experience a lot of the songs that we sing in soulful singing are all by ear there's no music there's nothing written down so it's actually very similar at a very basic level to probably the antiquity research that you're doing in early greek culture right like that mm -hmm. it's that very uh basic you know driving the heartbeat like we live with a beat inside of us the heartbeat you know and when we connect our heartbeat to a external beat in a song often there is that kind of and when we do that in community it that does create that capacity for the shared experience that I said earlier that, you know, my, my spirituality is very embodied and incarnate, but I would say in soulful singing, what happens is transcendent. It is my body, my singing with a next person, the next person, the next person, the next person, and what we create together as we become in sync with each other and have this kind of empathy with each other and that the rhythm becomes not just an individual rhythm but a collective rhythm is often experiences of transcendence often experiences of wonder awe connection i've often talked about um getting the soulful singing high and what i mean by that is when we practice together and we're breathing and we're taking deep breaths and we're in sync with each other it is can be mind altering it can create these open spaces where then people can share deeper than they might otherwise feel feelings deeper than they might otherwise without having that shared experience i know it's soulful singing over the years in person literally people have you know have accessed emotion have wept have laughed have danced in ways that if we just said okay let's let's cry and dance and sing together wouldn't happen it's because we have this collective experience where we sense feel communion it's a kind of communion that we have with each other through that shared experience so but your other question was about but i really need to speak to that because i think what i'm doing in soulful singing and what people do when we gather together is a very old practice mm -hmm. and it connects us to being human and all the humans that have come before us and that is, even saying that out loud, I feel goose pimples. I feel like, yeah, this is a simple, simple act, but it is something that has animated humanity for thousands of years. And, and that I'm part of that in my own way here in the 21st century is deeply meaningful to me that I'm part of that and that I've, facilitated that with other people and that other people have created because it couldn't happen just by me leading it we need at least one other person and that we've created that together mm -hmm. well and i think maybe before uh going on to the next question that i asked um i i think it's also interesting to say too i i in my research i also found a little bit that they've uh done scientific studies it's very hard to study people who are dancing and singing because you're always in motion uh but they've done studies on one of them was 
the effects of chanting OM while you're meditating. Uh, and if they found that people have a different sort of meditative experience when they're making these sounds and creating these vibrations. Um, and they actually found that, especially within a community of people, that their brain waves were significantly altered just by the act of saying OM together. Um, and I think, you know, as well, I also read a study about, and this isn't necessarily singing, but it's, it's about that kind of group communal experience where they've studied the firewalking ceremony in Greece and they found that oftentimes this act, doing this act together, they found an elevated heart rate that seemed to kind of match across the board. So all of the participants seem to have this exact same heart rate and it was in sync, which is also quite interesting. And I think it just speaks to the importance of these communal experience and, and how it kind of plays into how you interact with others. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that there's lots of research out there that show this. It is kind of like a communion or kind of an alignment that happens with people and their heartbeat coming in alignment, the breath, even singing together. Often what happens just naturally when we're singing together is we find ourselves breathing at the same time, right? Because it's like, oh, there's a phrase that goes, may all the flows be loving kindness, loving kindness through my soul. May all the flows be loving kindness, loving kindness through my soul when we start singing that together and around and around people don't take breaths in the middle anymore they take the breath at the same time so they're breathing in at the same time and then singing and then breathing in at the same time and then there's a kind of energetic wave i, I can't even it, I'm, a wave that kind of happens because we are moving in that kind of alignment with each other that I think has to have other impacts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But back to the loss of singing in congregational life because of COVID-19 that um, first of all, I think that's a huge, huge loss if you're in person. So, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've participated in quite a number of worship services over the last eight months where we've done singing on Zoom. So that, because people are in the safety of their own home. And if I'm leading a song, I can sing with other people. They'll hear me. They hear themselves and anybody else who's in the room with them and they see the other people, right? So, I think that works being in a, in a congregation where right now, where if people are having services, religious services in congregations and the prohibition against singing, I think it's a massive, massive loss. I think people are feeling that loss because again, it's a collect on often in a, in a religious service, joint singing is a collective response to whatever the leader is saying so the the imam or the or the the rabbi or the priest or the minister or whoever the religious leader is or the congregational member who's in leadership are saying and doing things and the congregational singing time is a time for the community to affirm what what's being said often the songs that are sung are affirmations they even are passages from scripture that are being sung um it's a way to respond collectively. And I think 
it's a it's a big loss not to be able to do that. Um, I I actually was thinking, it's like okay, humming, because even the act of humming and humming together would that be considered a safe act? Um, because I think what's happening, say, if the Lord's Prayer is being said in a Christian congregation, I think people with their masks on can say those words, right? Can say the Lord's Prayer in unison. So I just wondered about using humming or, because I feel like that's, yeah, it's just, it's hard. Honestly, for myself, why I started Soulful Singing was because my own experience of religious life was that my favorite part of a Sunday morning service in a Unitarian Universalist congregation was the singing and the silence. That is personally what I found most nourishing was singing together and having moments of shared silence. And when I started soulful singing as a practice in 2002, that was all it was. And it continues to be that singing, and shared silence and singing and all by ear, no, no pieces of paper and no instrumentation. Mm -hmm. So I'm really interested to know more. I think um, I, I really like the word you use embodiment, um, especially because I see a lot of that in how we do participate in singing and those kind of activities because it is a very embodied experience you're you're using like you you kind of said your your body is your instrument um and so i find it interesting too that you talk about then you kind of get to this sort of transcendence and and i'm interested if you this is maybe a very philosophical question but i would be interested to know if you you think there's a certain link between this kind of embodiment and transcendence that you kind of see like is there a very distinct pairing between the two? Are they mutually exclusive? You know, if, if you have any thoughts on that. I think my own thinking on these things is rather non-dualistically. I don't really think of us, I mean, we use the language to say transcendent and incarnate or embodied and out-of-bodied or, but I, I actually, in my own personal experience of both those experiences is often they're very intricately woven together. Um, it's not that I'm when I have a transcendent experience in soulful singing is that I'm out of my body and it's somewhere else. It's that I am fully present in my body and therefore tuning in to the other energies that are outside of my body and moving through my body. So I think for myself, that's it's it's actually when I am yeah, when I am deeply in touch with my uh, physicality, for lack of a better word, for, you know, the bones and the skin and the breath and the heartbeat and the sound of my voice and the vocal cords and my mouth and how it opens and how it kind of can put vibrations in my head, all of that stuff, like the very physical part. When I'm bringing deeper awareness into that physicality is often when those experiences of collective oneness, that we're not, uh, that we're not separate, that I'm not separate from the other beings I'm singing with, um, 
and that we are all interconnected in some mysterious way that I, it's funny, I, I don't, yeah, that is pretty difficult to, to put labels on, um, but that I have experienced profoundly and deeply in my own life. Uh, that's what I would say about that right now. I, I'm very interested to see if any of our uh, listeners get get the chills that I just got, even just thinking about that, because I think that that's quite a, a beautiful experience, and and you really describe it so wonderfully. Um, and I, I'm also curious. Um, so I believe one of our other hosts, Jacqueline, did attend. Uh, a soulful singing session. Uh, and she said that there, there were quite a few people there. So are you finding that you're still getting a lot of people participating online? Um, and did you find like people were just as passionate about it or if, if maybe there was a barrier to participating to with something like this online? It is so interesting how this has unfolded stuff because, um, so as I say, I've been doing this practice in person since 2002. And those groups are in my living room in other people's homes at Queens and faith and spiritual life uh, in the interfaith room. Like I've done it in many different physical locations, but essentially it's, this is the way it would work. We would be in a circle. We have chairs. Sometimes people stand up and dance. Sometimes people stay seated, but basically you can see and hear everybody in the circle. Um, it is a physical space. So, you know, you might be, I don't know, a foot from somebody else, right? If we have eight people, we make the circle. So it's a, you know, it's has a sense of containment. If there's 20 people, we make it. So that's how it's always been. And, and you hear yourself, you hear whoever is singing at the time. Two weeks early, late in February in 2020, uh, somebody who lives in Seeley's Bay, emailed me on a Thursday evening. I've been doing the group on Thursday evenings every week since 2002. She emailed me saying, oh, the roads are kind of crappy. Um, would you consider zooming in, zooming me in soulful singing tonight? Cause I don't, I don't feel safe driving. Uh, would you zoom in? So what I wrote to her, replied to her in the email is very different than what I said to myself in my head. So what I replied to her was something to the effect of, oh, thank you for making that suggestion. You know, I'm not very technically savvy and I wouldn't feel comfortable doing the Zoom, but maybe I'll do it sometime in the future. That's what I kind of emailed her. In my head, I was like, there is no damn way that I am gonna do Zoom singing. <laughs> this literally, I, yeah, it was even more emphatic than that. I, I'm, I'm gonna keep it, keep it PG for the kids that are listening today. And uh, no, people, G, keep a G for the kids that are mm -hmm. listening. Yeah, um, radio friendly. <laughs> radio friendly, yes. But basically in my mind, it was like, there is no way I'm doing that. That was, I think, the end of February. We had our last in-person gathering on um, March 13th. So March, March 12th, March 12th. March 13th is when the lockdown started happening, if you yeah. might recall. Like, so March 12th was our last in-person gathering. And I remember, th and then the, the, the dictums from the federal and provincial governments came down and I was like, oh, I guess that means that we're not gonna be able to do soulful singing. And I felt 
personally a lot of grief myself. Mm-hmm. I thought, whoa, this is a practice that I've had for 17 years at that point. And the idea of not doing it for myself and for the other people was like, boy, that's hard. So that next week, on the Wednesday, I have a group that meets at Queen's. And there's usually between, I would say, maybe seven and 16 people that would come regularly to that group. I thought, I'm just going to see, I'm going to see if I can do it online. And I went to Zoom, which the person had suggested. (laughs) There's not, there is a lot of irony behind this that weeks before when I didn't have to do it, I was very resistant. But then when the situation came that, oh, I'm not going to be able to do it in person. What are some creative ways that we might consider it? I was like, oh, well, maybe we'll do it by Zoom. (laughs) That makes me laugh now. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good lesson around personal resistance in general. Anyway, so that first gathering at Queens, I think we had 25 people come. More people than had ever come in in person. So, you know, I think at first, so that's interesting, at first that Wednesday group had huge numbers and that would be mostly Queens students and staff and faculty. A couple community members, it's always been open, but mostly those folks. But what I've noticed uh, so that was on the Wednesday. Thursday night, we had our regular Thursday gathering. Can't remember. Maybe there were 15 people that came to that. And then immediately I decided, you know what? People are really scared. People are scared. People are wondering how they're going to cope. People have seen what's happened in other countries. I thought, maybe I'll just do it every morning for a bit and see how that works at 9 o'clock. So that Friday. So Wednesday, we had the Queen's group. Thursday, we had our regular Thursday evening group. Friday morning, I say, let's start daily group. That was eight months ago. And we have been singing every single day at nine o'clock for eight months. And there has never been one day when nobody showed up. And I think for that morning group, maybe the smallest number we've had is maybe six or seven people. But this morning, after eight months, we had 15 people there, including two brand new people who've never been before. So it surprised me because in a, in a, in a Thursday evening group at my house over all those years, we maybe had uh, eight, 10, 12, 14 people. But the fact that after eight months, every day, there are still between 12 and 20 people that come pretty much every single day is testament to that it is meeting a deep need. People would not be showing up every single day or most every day or even coming in once a week unless it was meeting a deep need that they have right now. And I think the deep need that soulful singing, the singing meditation is, is meeting is one, seeing faces that aren't your household or if you live alone, aren't your own face. And also having a shared communal experience and, and uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, it, it's astounding to me. I, I, it continually surprises me, but then it doesn't surprise me because I think it is a nourishing practice, even online, where it's very different than in person, but it still fulfills some of those basic needs for human connection, for expression, for the... Uh, I haven't talked about emotion, but, I mean, the song has an amazing capacity to take us through emotion and 
and I think any kind of like in soulful singing, sometimes we're singing songs that are talking about difficult things. And then the next song could be every little cell in my body is happy. Every little cell in my body's well. Mm, I'm so glad every little cell in my body is happy and well, you know, so really it's Yeah, I um, I love hearing that this has been like a source of refuge for I think a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, just providing people with ways to connect because I think, and, and a unique way to connect because I think that there's been a lot lately where people have been desperate to have digital things, um, you know, trying to have these group activities. Um, but I think to have that kind of interactive element just makes it that much more meaningful for people you know, rather than just sitting and watching someone perform, you actually get to be part of it. Um, And I I am curious about, so I know that you've mentioned that you've done work with and you've done studies in addictions as well. And I'm curious to know if part of your work as a chaplain and with soulful singing has kind of brought in your work with addictions and, and how you've kind of seen that going together, if it has. Hmm. Well, I think it informs my work, for sure. You know, it's kind of like every experience that we have brings us to this moment, right? And so I can't divorce myself from what I learned in that, those experiences doing that master's degree in addictions. Uh, you know, it, it kind of follows through with me and carries, carries me. I think I think with addictions, many, many addictions derive out of a seeking of strategies to cope with difficult things. Many addictions come out of a lack of uh, feeling loved, early childhood trauma, um, huge holes in our sense of our own value and that by numbing ourselves or over over indulging not indulging that's something wrong right but but using um drugs behaviors eating shopping uh gambling all the things that can become compulsive in addictions. I don't, I am, I am very much in my own research and in, in my, in my other master's degree. And then I worked with the college of family physicians of Canada and an alcohol risk assessment and intervention. My, my approach to addictions has always been early intervention, uh, disease prevention, um, it's like, how do we lower the risk? So I'm not an abolitionist, you know, people use drugs, people use, I, you know, got these during the interview, someone dropped these wonderful cookies off to, uh, our house, these mm, cookies with chocolate chips and cocoa, you know what? And you know what? The, the suggested sample size is maybe two cookies. I might eat four. I mean, <laughs> six. I might eat a. But the, the key about any of, for me, is like how those behaviors um, 
interfere with our ability to cope, have relationships that are meaningful, do our jobs in a reasonable way, parent our kids, have um, healthy relationships. So an addiction becomes a problem when it interferes with our capacity to live. And what was maybe at one point a coping strategy, I'm gonna eat a row of cookies, becomes, uh, I actually can't live without these cookies. I can't cope without them. I can't, you know, that, that, that the pattern of behavior or the drug or whatever becomes, that is the focal point, getting that fix to be able to live in some kind of a way. I step back from that and just say that because I think that um, this search for meaning and purpose, which um, many religions give a framework for, that with addictions, we often lose that. We lose a sense of where the deeper meaning is from. Is the deeper meaning from connections, from relationships, from how we are able to give and receive from each other. And the meaning and purpose comes from I need to I need to solve the pain and to mask the pain that's inside of me. So I think with soulful singing or this practice, you know, it's a ritual that helps people open their heart and have more self-acceptance to kind of go, yeah, we all are screwed up some sometimes. And, um, and to start again in love, you know, that we can keep starting again in love. Uh, so I do feel a connection between the, the work that I do, you know, at some kind of deep, deep level, it is about self-acceptance. For myself, you know, my interest in addictions came because I came from a family with profound addictions and trying to i think i'm not the last person alive that studies things that because you know trying to figure out your own family or your my own family my own way things worked out in my family and um and i also know that my own practice of soulful singing is like a nourishing restorative practice for my own mental health, well-being, and coping with, you know, my own experiences of trauma, my own difficulties. So, and I know that from other people who come to Soulful Singing, some of whom have had immense trauma and who have significant mental health challenges and significant physical health challenges. And the practice of Soulful Singing in community is a place to return that's a positive healthy way a ritual that grounds them helps them feel they're not alone that they can see other people have rough days and have great days and that that's part of the human experience and um, i think a lot of addiction is severely isolates ourselves like we become severely isolated from true community and so um, these kind of practices I think kind of reconnect us to what really sustains our lives you know um, and I really do believe that is love and and relationship and honesty and community mm -hmm.
I, I feel, and, and maybe, uh, maybe this is a incorrect, so feel free to tell me if, if I'm way off base here, but I, I sense that, you know, just going back to talking about that idea of embodiment and transcendence, um, and those kind of experiences that you get from practices like soulful singing. And I, I feel like when you kind of bring that into the realm of addictions and, and drug use, especially, I think there's a certain disassociativeness with uh, a, a lack of embodiment. Um, I think that, and, and maybe this is an overarching statement, and obviously I don't think this is the case for everybody, um, but I, I think there's a certain level of a seeking transcendence through um, oftentimes through drugs, um, especially when you look at like party drugs, especially, I think more so, um, but other drugs as well. And I think that there's certain, you know, a lack of embodiment there and maybe that kind of split and disassociation between the two. Um, whereas you look at something like soulful singing and I think that maybe, uh, from my perception is so powerful because it kind of brings those two experiences back together. Like you were talking about that, that non-duality before, um, and again, maybe I'm completely off base here, but this is kind of what I'm putting together from from our discussion a little bit and just and my own prior knowledge and experience. No, I think that that actually connects quite deeply, I think, because I think a lot of a lot of addiction behavior is about disconnecting from the pain, the reality, the difficulty. And it's like, I want to be somewhere else. That's not really the life I'm living. I want to be somewhere else. And this drug, the gambling, the food, the whatever it is, the shopping takes me to another place that I don't have to feel the pain of being in this body. And, and I think that's a, a profound part of soulful singing. And I've witnessed this on, this is, wow, I'm going to get emotional about this because one of the surprises on on our online singing not maybe not because the research is coming out that that actually people share more vulnerability online than they would otherwise if they were in person um if we're in person you know i think people's boundaries are up a little different but on a screen there's a sense that you're private in your private home you know, and I know therapists are saying this, the friends that are therapists are saying that they're finding that people are more revealing, more open hearted, that trust gets established quicker, et cetera, online than it might otherwise be if it was in a face to face. So there's something about this modality that allows people, invites people uh, to share more deeply than they might otherwise in real, in, in this is real life, but in, in a face-to-face -face kind of situation where we were in a physical space together. And what I've noticed in Soulful Singing Online is because as part of the practice, so that we've done this from the very beginning. So we sing for, online we sing for about 45 minutes straight, singing in silence. And then some people leave at that point and then some people stay because we've always had in person a sharing time, a time of just connecting with each other. Because I've always felt this is about a meditative practice, but it's also about the community we create and getting to know each other a little bit. And so the way that it works online is that I invite people to say their name, where they're located, because people come from all over, um, not just Kingston. 
where they're located, and if they want to reflect on the theme. This morning the theme was Thanksgiving because um, it is American Thanksgiving. We have a number of people that come from the States and also folks that um, are, have connections with the United States. But also because today, actually, we are celebrating our actual 18 years of Soulful Scene. This is, oh, this congrats. is we always celebrate in November. So the theme was Thanksgiving. So if people want to share, and as part of the sharing, it is not about chit chat. It is about, you say your name, where you're located. If you want to share any reflections on the theme or whatever you want to say that's on your heart in the moment. And then after each person speaks, we, on Zoom, we, we sing a little ooh, like we might go ooh. But we have it unmuted so people can hear each other. That's the only time that we're singing that we can all hear each other. <laughs> so that's, that's, and the practice is, it's not about crosstalk. It's about deeply listening to each other. And when it becomes our turn to speak, we speak from our own experience. We don't say, oh, Steph, you mentioned that um, you were going to be seeing your mother today. Oh, I really hope that's a good trip with you. We don't do that. Mm -hmm. We basically witness to each other. And during this experience of soulful singing online, people have shared very deeply about their lives and have witnessed to one another sharing deeply. And some of that's deep joy and some of that is deep suffering. You know, people having very difficult times. We've had many people in soulful singing have the death of a loved one over the last eight months and have shared during that time, my brother died, my father died. My cousin died. Um, we've had other traumas, people experiencing really difficult times and in our sharing have shared that and the space has been held for those people. So I, yeah, I think that kind of the level of depth that's happened in, in the online version has really surprised me. Uh, and the connection too, because I know people also connect outside of soulful singing. People will say, Hey, can let's be in touch or whatever. And so other friendships, and that's always been the case, you know, people have made friendships. And right now, like this morning, I think of all the people that were there, I maybe have sung in person with, of those 15 people, let's see, one, two, three, maybe four people I've sung in person with. But the rest of the people, the other 11 people, I've never sung in person with, I've only sung with online. So that's also really curious to me that that experience has happened in that way. That's interesting. Um, I, I'm a little curious if, uh, if people share, like, are, are they typically of religious background or do they come from more of a non-religious standing? If you, I don't know if it's something they share often. This is interesting. This is a really interesting, uh, is at one point there was a, it is a very big mix. There are some folks who have no religious background at all or who do not practice any religion at all, from my, from my sense. Some people I don't know. But um, we, have, we have one, two, three Unitarian Universalist ministers who come regularly. We have a, a former Catholic priest who comes regularly. We have a former Anglican priest that comes regularly. We have two United Church ministers who come regularly. So there actually is interesting... 
in terms of religious leaders, now I have those connections too, but it, it, I, I think, and I, my sense from those religious leaders is, oh, here is a practice where I don't, I'm not the leader. Wendy Luella is the leader and I can come in and have my own spiritual connection and experience, which I think is really interesting because I know as a religious leader myself, it's hard to find those places. So many of us come out, you know, we feel called to whatever service or ministry because we've had those deep experiences and we want to share that with other people. And then yet when you become a religious leader, you kind of lose the chances to have those experiences because you're trying to, you're holding the space, right? You are casting and holding the space all the time. So I, I found that interesting that, uh, that quite a number of religious leaders have found soulful singing and have made that a part of their practice. Um, but other than that, I can say, you know, we don't have a, what I would call probably very fundamentalistly oriented religious people that come because we sing songs. We don't sing religiously explicit songs, but we sing spiritually deep songs, I'd say. Um, uh, but I don't even know that. Maybe we do have some folks who are are more fundamentalist in their approach. But I'd say most of the people are either you know, pretty liberal in their, whatever their religious expression is, or, or non-religious. That's interesting to know, because I think too, um, just hearing a little bit more about what Unitarian Universalism is, it's a bit of a mouthful, eh? <laughs> um, yeah, it seems very all-encompassing and very open, and I think that's uh, a very unique position um that makes something like hosting soulful singing or, or maybe even being a chaplain at a non-religious mm. university um it's probably a very useful position to come from i'd imagine yeah yeah and also i mean i think that coming back to faith and spiritual life at queens you know there are three three chaplains kate johnson mm -hmm. um she's a lead chaplain her background is quaker um abdullah al-azmar who is background is muslim and mine as unitarian universalist so we don't check out of our own religious traditions right we are you can't do that and yet uh <laughs> well i guess you could but that would be awful difficult i would i wouldn't recommend it yeah you're talking to a religious studies major it's uh caution of the job you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, as a religious leader, you know, being bringing what your own faith tradition is, is part of the job. And um, we, as chaplains, we serve any student, faculty, staff person, regardless of their religious background, or if they have no religious background, our, our, um, our approach is to welcome anyone and try to meet them where they are. It's not about me imposing my beliefs or my background on anybody. It's meeting those people where they are and helping them discern how to live more meaningfully, richly, purposefully, less ang with less anxiety, with more, uh, yeah, uh, more integrity for themselves. And so if you come and you come from a, from a religious tradition, that's where we meet you. And if you come and you're have you're non-religious or spiritual but not religious that's where we meet you so um 
and we're queer positive. We are, yeah, we, we say we're queer positive, religion positive, and non-religion positive. We are just positive. <laughs> Great. I think we all need some positivity these days. <laughs> oh my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and I think, it, I mean, our faith and spiritual life, uh, our office has always had very in-person gatherings like that's and that and we've had to transform those during the during the pandemic for sure but i think soulful singing we didn't miss a beat we did not miss one session we came from meeting on the previous wednesday to meeting online the next wednesday and i think the other things that we've done in faith and spiritual life the other main main way that we're connecting with with students and volunteers too, because we have volunteer community members that are part of these programs, um, is doing cooking programs. So mm -hmm. we do cooking programs online. We have a cooking with grandmas and also cooking with chaplains. So now we are cooking every Wednesday from five to 6.30. So we have a program every single week, which is more than we've ever done. Uh, we had a group last night who, uh, whether seven, I think there were seven participants and we made gourmet, gourmet ramen. <laughs> you know how the staple for students is like that little pouch with the little pouch, probably MSG and other thing, you know, <laughs> the little pouch and the noodles. So we made a gourmet version of that. And uh, one of the students who is from Trinidad, she's, she's having a hard time with, you know, finding food here and making food here that feel it really tastes delicious to her mm. because she comes from a tradition where there's just such a rich, rich food background but she said i'm going back for seconds and this is going to be my go-to i love this so, oh that's amazing <laughs> yeah and then that's been an incredible the movement from to that online has been incredible in terms of the connection and again coming back to hospitality you know in so many religious traditions it my ministry is really about food and music that's it that's it. two things food and music oh i get it i think those are my two things too yeah <laughs> so the food part has been so wonderful and what's so great online because we've done these these gatherings in person before again i am really i feel there's a lot of blessing that's the word surprising blessings going online which i would have not envisioned and one of the blessings is when we, we were in person doing these cooking programs, you might have eight people and some volunteers and you as a as a student, you might come in and be part of making the salad, say, but you wouldn't may have any clue of what the main dish was or you might have been working on the dessert. But, you, you know, so you learn those little aspects of things. But online, everybody's in their own house, in their own kitchen where they know their stuff and we're supporting them to make a meal together. And so they make it from the beginning to the end. At, in, in the process, people are saying, I have never cut an onion before. Or, you know, I have never made homemade soup before. And now they have an experience where they do it from the beginning to the end in a supportive, supported way. And there's so much pride, so much sense of empowerment, so much like, I'm going to make this again. I'm going to make this for my housemates. You know, there's just... It feels amazing. And I feel so privileged to be part of a program right now when there's so many difficulties. 
-hmm. where there's so much sense of joy and and connection and agency and it's pretty wonderful Mm -hmm. well so for any of our listeners um maybe you can give them um maybe if there's a if they're interested in participating in soulful singing or if they're a student looking to do the cooking with chaplains or cooking with grandmas maybe you can just tell them where they can maybe get in touch and find information on that yeah, I think the easiest way is probably our Facebook page or Instagram pages. So it's just Faith and Spiritual Life Queens. You should get, they should pop up in Facebook or in Instagram and you'll see what the upcoming events are. People can also contact me directly and I'm totally happy with that. It's WLP1 at queensu.ca. WLP1, the number one, at queensu.ca. So uh, you can just pop me an email and I'm happy to, I actually have a list, an email list. I know it's so old school, but I send an email list out, an email out every week saying, these are our events this week. This is how you participate. I mean, the soulful singing is a drop-in, so you can come anytime. You can come for 20 minutes if you want. Whereas the cooking programs are in um, our registry. We need you to register. And we also, this year, uh, this semester and we're going to be doing continuing doing it weekly online into the winter as well but we have some funding which is amazing we don't often have this but we have some funding from uh an angel source i won't say who that person's (laughs) name is they've asked not to be not to be recognized but in my heart i recognize them so there were some funds that were they were hoping to do some in-person things with this money this year and needs to be spent by a certain time and they don't aren't able to do it and so they've passed it on to us so we're actually for people who participate the students cooking with with grandmas is right now a partnership with um graduate students and professional students so only grad students and professional students can be part of grandmas right now uh the cooking with chaplains is for anybody any student queen student grad student undergraduate student professional student and from anywhere, right? So if you're wherever you are studying from, but we have gift cards that we are able to give you. So if you register and say, hey, I wouldn't mind coming and I'd like to come, we are able to give you like a 20 buck gift card so that you can shop for the ingredients and there's no expense to you to even do that. So you, which is pretty nice. All right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to chat about? I think we're uh, coming up on about an hour. So that was an, that was amazing. Yeah, that was, that went pretty quick. It's nice meeting you, and thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, and hopefully talk to you soon. Yeah, that was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Nearly Numinous. You can subscribe on all your favorite podcasting apps. Just search for Nearly Numinous. You can also find us on social media under the same name. Have a topic you'd like us to talk about? Would you like to be a guest on a future episode? Reach out to us at nearlynuminous at gmail.com.